0: Hey, it's Kristen. You're listening to Rational in Portland. Welcome to Rational in Portland. Thanks everybody for tuning in. I'm really excited today because I have two people in the studio who I just admire so much that head up two of our most important cultural institutions in Portland. I want to welcome Scott Showalter, who is from the Oregon Symphonies, the CEO of Oregon Symphony. And, and I want to talk about both of y'all's backgrounds too, because these are really credentialed people and people don't understand how lucky we are to have people heading up these institutions who don't, they don't have to be here, but they choose to run these institutions. We also have Brian Frizzo from the, the uh, Portland Art Museum in the studio. So they're here together to talk to us about these um, wonderful pillars of our city that I think we've absolutely got to preserve. Welcome guys. Thanks for coming in.
1: Thanks for having us.
0: One of the reasons that I wanted to chat with you both is because I am concerned about the city of Portland. And two of the things that I think we have going for us are your institutions. They're the art museum and the symphony. Brian, can you please tell us how you ended up at the art museum and sort of what your educational and professional background was before that position?
2: First of all, Kristen, thanks for for having us. It's uh, it's just a pleasure to be here. But I think it really started for me in, in public school education, you know, taking my art classes. And it was a place of magical creative exploration. And I love those classes. And over time, I never realized that you can actually make a career in the arts um, until I sort of Went to college, had an economics degree. I was a studio art minor. Um, Where did you go to college? I went to Bowdoin College in Maine, a small liberal arts college. And then, um, and then I became an art teacher, a high school art teacher that uh, was outside of New York City and also then started to pursue a graduate degree in nonprofit management. Went to NYU, got that degree. Wow. And then started uh, internships at the Newark Museum, the Guggenheim, the Frick, all in New York City, Wonderful experience. Bartended at night, um, painted Some of houses. The
0: best places in the country.
2: Yeah, they were fantastic. And and then over time, after that degree, went to the University of Chicago, got an advanced degree in art history, became oh a medievalist. Gosh. And what that means is, I studied you know, old Renaissance and medieval art, and uh, ultimately became um, director of curatorial affairs at the Milwaukee Art Museum in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Oversaw a major expansion of $125 million there uh, by Santiago Calatrava, a really significant project that led me to become director of the Philbrook Museum in Tulsa, Oklahoma, until in 2006 I came here uh, to the Portland Art Museum.
0: We're so lucky to have you. And so Scott, tell us your background. When I heard it as a lawyer, when I heard about it, I'm like, really? Because you you did a stint uh, at Stanford Law School.
1: I did. So like Brian, I grew up in and around the arts started piano when i was 4 and played seriously through college i attended stanford university as an undergrad have a ba in economics and didn't know that i would end up pursuing a career in the arts in fact worked in higher education for a long time as associate dean at stanford law school i do not have a jd Kristen, and I am not gunning for your job. <laughs> and then the University of Chicago after that, uh, along the way, I earned an MBA at UCLA, and I was the vice president of the Los Angeles Philharmonic before Thomas Lauderdale of Pink Martini fame, uh, who's on the board of the Oregon Symphony, sort of got his claws into me and brought me up to Portland. That was now nine years ago.
0: We are just so lucky to have you both. I think a lot of institutions like this throughout the country don't have people with these kinds of... Of educational backgrounds and experience running their institutions so what can we do if if anybody out there is listening maybe they're maybe they're just an individual or maybe they're a business owner what can we do to support you all because one thing I learned from Scott Showalter when I first became really interested in the Oregon Symphony is that and I don't know why this is groundbreaking news to me, is that the symphony is not guaranteed. And in fact, according to Scott, and I haven't done research on this, but I'm sure it's true, and I'll go ahead and link to this in the show notes, there are other cities of our size that have lost... Their symphonies, Honolulu, San Antonio, San Jose. Isn't that right?
1: Syracuse as well. Yeah, I would dare say the Oregon Symphony, and Brian uses this term as well for the, for the art museum, punches above its weight. and Multi-Grammy nominations. It was the toast of the New Yorker, Alex Ross, writing it. it's one of the most important classical performances of the decade um, in, the, in the 2010s, our performance at Carnegie Hall. And it's really about keeping an institution in Portland Not just alive, but thriving. And there's no guarantee, as you point out, Kristen, that we are going to be around years from now. We are the oldest orchestra in the Western United States. We celebrated our 125th birthday last year. I want to make sure that we're around for 125 years more, but we have existential threats to our business, which is a whole heck of a lot more complicated than anyone who doesn't live and breathe it all the time would have any reason to know, but it's not guaranteed. And while we, Brian and I are thrilled to be talking with you today, that that this is not a a stump speech for for donations, uh, really, to have people understand uh, some of the challenges that we're facing and some opportunities ahead.
0: Brian, what what about you all? My understanding is, the art museum may not in Portland. It may not be "quote unquote" world class, but we were talking off air, and you said it. It could be. You said you're close to that.
2: Yeah, and there are moments that we are, and then there are moments that we're not. I think it's, um, you know, I think some of our exhibitions are world class. I think the staff is world class. I think we could be a lot better in our educational programs, and it's only due to lack of investment, not due to the people here. And what I mean by education programs is you know school programs associations and and you know partnerships with portland public schools or the universities or uh, in particular portland state you know we can do a much better job one of the other things i think we really need to do better is create greater free access i'm working with trying to fund uh, teachers free all the time we made kids free 17 and under but you know ultimately we need to make more make the institution more porous um i think to your point, though, Kristen, you know what what can we do to, to think about this and I, I think to set the stage, I think Scott said it well, these, this is a fragile ecosystem, and given where we 've been in the last three to five years, especially with our city, among other things, and the region, it's very delicate right now, huh. and, it's, um, and and sort of we need to understand these are essential resources for all not an attraction for a few. And I say that a lot because, again, we're impacting hundreds of thousands of people a year with inspiration and hope and not just entertainment. This is about thinking about our humanity, thinking about Empathy, at the end of the day, this is for me about empathy. I think whether it's Scott's, uh, the symphony's art form or the visual arts and the performing arts, it's about understanding other cultures' time and place. And this is not a luxury. This is something that we need now more than ever, I think. And um, that's sort of where... I'm pleased to sort of talk about this now with you because, again, it is it is delicate, it is fragile, and we need to do a better job uh, in our city, in our region, to to think about these organizations in those on those terms.
1: And I would add that it's institutions like Brian's and mine that help to anchor the entire cultural community, right? So it's not just that we're the largest in the region, but we provide resources and partner with a lot of smaller nonprofits. Our musicians create other nonprofits. They perform with other groups. They teach uh, and serve on faculties. They are doing far more than what people might see them do on stage. We are the only full-time ensemble in Oregon, and we perform more nights throughout the year than does any other institution. So if we want people coming downtown, and I know this is a theme, Kristen, of many of your podcasts, if we want park blocks to be live at night, it's the Oregon Symphony. You don't have to care about Bach and Beethoven, although we perform a lot more than that, but you do have to care about the Oregon Symphony if you want parking lots, restaurants, bars, retail shops full. We bring 200, at least pre-COVID, 200,000 people downtown. That is more than any other for-profit or non-profit at the dinner hour.
0: So what you all are telling me is the issue is actually not public support you feel do you feel like you have individual and maybe even business public support in the city of Portland and Multnomah County
2: I, I would say for the art museum we have individual support it's very strong um, I think the public sector when I say public sector government entities is very low and is um, it, it needs to be thought through much better so I would say that for us is the case
1: Likewise, I'd say for the Oregon Symphony, individual donors, we had 10,000 donors, individuals giving to the Oregon Symphony last year, anything from, you know, one figure to seven figures. So we're getting good support from individuals. And it's a darn good thing because the bottom's fallen out for other sources of support. Certainly civic funding is a fraction of what it used to be. And in case of the Oregon Symphony, Brian's got his building, but we rent from a sort of multitude of government agencies and our fees are going up. So we're being squeezed at both ends. And it's been individuals that have helped to keep this whole in the meantime. And that, like you were saying earlier, is no guarantee.
0: Okay. So you rent from the symphony rents its space from government.
1: Okay. So I'll, I'll take a moment and, and describe the sort of Byzantine structure that that we've got. So there's an intergovernmental agreement between the city of Portland and Metro,
0: Right. So and Metro is th- our third lay of government, which comprises Multnomah, Washington, Clackamas counties. Correct.
1: So the city actually owns the facility in which we perform, but they don't operate it. They give over control of that to Metro. And there's an entity within Metro, as you know, the Metropolitan Exposition Recreation Commission, or better known as MERC, which is meant to be a catalyst, according to its website, for culture, community, and economic vitality for Oregon and Portland uh, through leadership, advocacy, and expert management of public event venues. The The problem I find is that how it is Merck and Metro line up uh, with the city are, are not always in sync. So while the city purports to want to have an exciting, robust set of activities downtown we're often treated on the on the metro side of the equation as a cost center and so we are seeing increased fees at every level within Merck. there's an entity called portland five centers for the arts that is our direct landlord but a lot of the rates that we have to pay are negotiated at the highest levels of metro various union rates and and so forth our rates since 2016 have doubled to use our own space and our rents. Uh, the Merck Commission unanimously voted last year to double them again over the next three years.
0: Do you, do you understand, or were you told, the reasoning for this?
1: Well, it's public information. I mean, we could go back and uh, it, basically to make ends meet and to you know bolster the budget for for other things that I understand that, um, that Portland Five Centers for the Arts wanted to do and needed funding for. So... Um, I'm not I'm not privy to all the information, but uh, certainly all the rates that we've experienced, uh, at least since 2016 have been more than double the rate of inflation.
0: So what you're saying is you have had to count on this individual donor support to make up for the lack of monetary support from, say, governmental entities that you used to rely on to support you
1: yeah in fact i can share uh for your listeners later a, a graphic that sort of uh draws this into stark relief so we'll
0: link to that we'll link to that okay in the show notes. so
1: 2016 if if we take the two sort of civic factors together that is the grants that we get to the arts tax and, and general funding and then the rates that we pay the cost structure so from civic entities if you follow me for a second, and you can you can visualize this. If you want to link to it later, is uh, we we received grants of about seven hundred thousand in twenty sixteen, and it cost us about nine hundred thousand to use our facilities. So on you know par for a twenty plus million dollar budget, you know not quite a wash, but not too big a deficit. We were owing another two hundred thousand dollars. Fast forward to twenty two. Our cost to use the hall has skyrocketed from 900,000 to 1.5 million, whilst our grants just evaporated from 700,000 down to 175. So that delta has grown last year to 1.3 million per annum. This year it's about 1.5. And that's the equivalent on an endowment payout of 5% of some $30 million. So I would need $30 million tomorrow to make up for this chasm. That Look, we're dealing with all kinds of existential threats from inflation and COVID and downtown safety and so forth. These are manufactured crises. We can handle these. And with better support from our various layers of government, we don't have to face the kind of difficult challenges that Brian and I are having to make with regard to free performances and educational um, services uh, for indigent communities. And we, we we run a broad range of programs across this region and across the state, and that's what's being threatened. Not just Mozart on the stage, right? It's, it's about the total economic and cultural impact of institutions like ours because of our size. And it's just not, in the scheme of things, that big a deficit but it is unfortunate that we're having to go to individuals to make up that difference
0: so what you're saying is, are, are, so are you telling us that individuals have made up the difference or are you telling me that the symphony is still operating at this $30 million deficit?
1: Well, it's not a $30 million deficit, to be clear. So I was saying if we needed to cover 1.5 annually reliably, right, if we had that covered, we would need $30 million in order to spin off 5%. And in instead to,
0: you're scrambling to make up instead that Instead
1: we're money. scrambling to make that up. And, you know, post-COVID when people are reticent to, come downtown either for pandemic-related reasons or because they perceive that downtown is unsafe. We're already seeing a drop-off on ticket sales, but that is not for lack of interest. Interest in our products and our our programs is at an all-time high, but we know that it's going to take several years in order to build back that audience. And at the moment, from local government, we are seeing no help to help make up that difference and I want us to continue to bring tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people downtown to help restart this this economy of downtown Portland which is the center of the economy for the state frankly and we we run programs in Salem and in and in other venues as well but Portland is is the home and and, and the driver and that's that's really what's in jeopardy
0: so what would you say to people who would say well there's no real crisis here Scott I mean there's you're you're operating at the level that you've operated at because these individuals who recognize how important this is have, have done their duty and they've stepped in. What is what's going on? Here? And
1: that absolutely has been the case pre pandemic. But coming out of the pandemic, it is only because of state monies uh, through the CARES Act that have kept us alive. And I think I can say that for most uh, institutions so that. The operational deficit, which we have solved for every year, balancing the budgets as long as I've been here until, until COVID hit, now the that delta, that, that difference that we have to make up is so much greater that there is no guarantee that we're going to be around in the future. You can't just you kind of you know, pinch pennies here and there in or order to make up multi-millions of dollars in loss and ticket sales. And again, it's not for lack of interest. It is for the situation that we uniquely find ourselves. This is the case across the country. And other cities are doubling down in their support for the arts. And it is just in Portland where we're 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 not perceived uh, historically in the same way. So, yeah, Kristen, your question, we, there's no guarantee that we're going to be able to cover that operational deficit as it's grown um, until we can bring back those audiences. And so we have a, a multi-year plan to kind of bring us more uh, into alignment, but it's going to take some special support to get there. And I dare say it's, it's, it's unfair to uh, see the level of fee increases and the diminution of civic and arts tax dollars uh, just as we're struggling to come back.
0: Brian, is the art museum suffering from this same kind of phenomenon that Scott just described, where the, ins- the issue is not individuals. The issue is really a lack of support from these in governmental institutions that you've always relied on to fund you.
2: Yes, I, I think there is a similar story, although the numbers are a little different. I think just stepping back a little bit, you know it's it's about the partnership between the public and private partnership for these organizations to thrive and what we're seeing is the 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 private sector the individuals are stepping way above um, or giving way above what they you know if you benchmark nationally of what individuals give and and Oregonians are incredible you know they will That's support amazing. you know they will support um, as much as they can the the missing part of this puzzle or the pie that we talk about, the funding pie is certainly um, the government entities. And when you benchmark us or look at best practices or look across the country of other cities or other regions, The the city's at the table. They are at the table in the conversation and partnership because ultimately we know that the arts in the United States, going back even to the founding of the NEA in 1965 under President Johnson, was about that public-private partnership. How do we inspire private philanthropy? And it's due to the fact that the government entities is at the table. They don't have to fund it all. But they are at the table. And we also understand in the United States, and which has been allowed us to thrive in many parts of the country, is our tax code, right? The 501c3 idea, which is this this idea that if you give to our nonprofits, you get a tax write-off. And that's a powerful tool that is the envy of many countries. Uh, And so what we're experiencing here in Oregon is not having the level of public participation at the table just to help us make up these... um, these differences. And and I think Scott said it well, we're, we're at a moment too of, you know, the city is facing incredible headwinds and crisis. And this is the time to invest in arts and culture for not only, you know, raising our understanding and sense of hope and beauty and aesthetics and inspiration, but also the economic side of the equation, which Scott so beautifully talked about, because we do need, we do need foot traffic downtown. Our, you know, our, small shop owners or our restaurants i mean they're incredible here in oregon and it's part of the ecosystem right and in, especially in portland um you know some of my favorite small restaurants don't exist anymore and we need to bring them back and it's due to investing in these sort of pillars and you use that word chris and i like it the pillars in our community are not being invested in
1: you know you mentioned brian uh, restaurants i remember during covid Dave Machado, Nel Centro, and other restaurants in his press release said, I'm shutting down because the performing arts are not happening. I like that's the ecosystem and that's the wow. situation, right? So because that is how much, it's, it's Americans for the arts and, and other studies will show that there's an eight to one multiplier for people who are coming down town in our case in what they're spending in parking and in food and beverage and souvenirs and so forth, eight to one. So on a budget of 25 million, that's 200 million in economic activity that the Oregon Symphony alone is driving. And then you layer on that, um, the Portland Art Museum and all of our fellow anchor organizations and the smaller ones as well. And it is a huge driver. I remember um, Earl Blumenauer during... uh, Covid was talking about the American Restaurant uh, Association and uh, or National Restaurant Association, the other NRA, and how it is they were lobbying in DC uh, for funding because it was four percent of GDP. Well, the arts are four and a half percent of GDP, but there's no one trade association that's representing all of us, right? But that is that's 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 really what we're talking about. It is more than arts and culture and coming to uh, you know, a single day or exhibition at a museum or a single performance or an evening at the symphony, it is, it, it's much greater than that. And th- this is what Portland stands to lose if we don't get, um, we don't get alignment with uh, elected officials and with our vision for the city going forward.
0: Talk to us a little bit about this waterfront concert Scott because I was really excited about that Mm -hmm. um the symphony was going to do a concert on the waterfront that was going to be free of charge so accessible to all able to be enjoyed by everybody in our community without them paying a dime and then it was canceled and I didn't really follow what happened with that but based on what you're telling me I'm starting to um wonder if it was due to some lack of institutional support.
1: Well, you're, you're intuitive because that's exactly what happened. So we ran for 20 years the largest free outdoor uh, music event uh, of its kind on the West Coast. So it would draw 15,000, 20,000 people downtown for uh, typically a Saturday over uh, Labor Day weekend. We would bring our musicians back a week early from when their contract begins typically in uh, later that month in order to uh, rehearse and then perform what was this just huge, lovely, exciting event. And it didn't just feature the Oregon Symphony. We lined up other smaller institutions uh, and indie bands to have their own performances on stage, sort of a diversity of performers for a real festival, not just a, a classical performance. And the opera and the ballet were there we should have brian we should have had some paintings nearby so that we you could have been in on it as well but as far as the performing arts it was it was really kind of a it was a mainstay for many years and it was funded in a in a partnership with the city it's about a four hundred thousand dollar event between uh extra weeks worth of compensation for our musicians and then the variable costs of putting up a stage and Porta potties and cleaning up goose poop and permitting and jumbotron's and all the rest. So not an uh, not an inexpensive event. And then we we uh, broadcast it live through all classical Portland, and so really reached tens of thousands of people in person and via the airwaves. For free and this kind of long list and then uh, when uh, Mayor Wheeler came into office that was defunded and no we kept it going for a few years uh, since then but it is just too big a nugget especially at this time when we were paying so much money into metro and we've lost so much money from the city and from the arts tax distributions we can no longer afford on our own in this uh, fraught period to to stage that unfortunately as important as it was.
0: So, uh, before we went to air, we were talking about uh, the state of Portland, and the G- Brian was asking, you know, is it possible that the pendulum's going to swing back, Portland's going to come back to where it was in the, let's say, early 2000s, in 2014, isn't that when you got here, Scott, 2014? It is, yeah. All right. So, um, and we were talking about place, I said, well, I don't know, maybe it's another Detroit and St. Louis. Yeah. And I hadn't been to either of those places. I don't even, I mean, St. Louis is probably 20, actually, probably both of them, maybe 15, 20 years. But Scott, you were telling me yeah. that they have world class museums. And, and Brian said, they, Cleveland also does, Pittsburgh, the Rust Belt, you guys were saying that these, Detroit and St. Louis actually now have world class arts centers. Brian, what do you they're, know they're about they incredible. This?
2: I mean, they go back to sort of the foundings or, you know, the, the turn of the century. You know, we're talking beginning of the 20th century in the Gilded Age, the finding of these museums and the symphonies and the operas. And and what the leadership did, at least the philanthropists, they endowed these organizations at a level so significantly. Plus, when you talk about something like St. Louis, the, the level of public support, because they understand that these are Anchors and pillars for their community, at least the St. Louis Art Museum is getting a significant amount of support from the public sector government entities to make sure that there's a good partnership between the government and the private philanthropy to create something really special and magical. Detroit Institute of Fine Arts, one of the best in the world. The Carnegie Institute, as we know, in Pittsburgh, remarkable. Um, The list goes on. The Cleveland Museum of Art, again, seemed to be, you know, one of the world's greatest art museums and collections, uh, you know, in any city.
1: Those four cities that you mentioned have some of the greatest orchestras in the country and it's frankly not necessarily because they've got any better players or they've got any more talented staff it's because those cities invest in their arts i i lived in st louis for a long time as a child and you went downtown unless you were going to see a sports game you were going downtown for the symphony or you were going downtown for some arts thing in the evening and detroit uh you know after the the fall of the economy back in 08, 09, they, they doubled down. The city doubled down with the Detroit symphony orchestra to help bring a creative class and a vibrant downtown community. So if you haven't been to Detroit recently, there is more happening downtown because of the arts, not just because the arts are happening and people are coming in. That's true. But they were part of the leadership conversation with elected officials and their staffs at the time when the city was struggling. And one of the reasons it has helped to come back, some would argue it's you know not fully back, but it is back as much as it is in large part because of the arts. And the arts here in Portland are not part of that conversation.
0: So one of the ways that we can help bring the city back is we can follow the lead of some of these quote-unquote Rust Belt cities that have revitalized their downtown, that have revitalized their, their city commerce, the reasons that people might go to visit. They, they've, it sounds like they've got tourism again um, because people want to hear these, these orchestras. People want to go to their museums. Um, and when I think Pittsburgh, I don't normally think about museums, but I'm going to think that now. And in fact, I frankly like to take a trip to some of these places, um, and, and find out what's going on around there, because it sounds like they have a fair amount to offer. And it sounds like these are good models for us in the city of Portland.
2: Absolutely. Uh, Yeah. Why can't we do it? Well, I, I'm hopeful, you know, again, we're talking about hope and, and, and I, I am hopeful. Um, I feel fortunate recently, and, and Scott has been with me a few times. Our city commissioners are having a conversation with us, um, and so we are laying the groundwork. I know they've got a lot on their plate, and I understand that. This is not an either-or. This is about you know creating a community that is um, that is vibrant and uh, and active and um, caring and empathetic, and at the same time, one that gives us that sense of hope and. And I'm hopeful. Um, I I wish the timeline was sped up. I mean, I want it to happen sooner. But we shall see. I think it's a real challenge for all of us in leadership to say, okay, where are we going to go now? Where are we headed? What's the roadmap? And how are we going to define that? And who is going to help shape the future of our city?
1: There are a couple lines I want to read, uh, Kristen, Please. from a, uh, a study that was commissioned by the Murdoch Trust. Um Portland's marquee institutions are modestly funded compared to similar cities. This is after a lengthy uh, research study that they had done. And there is concern that local civic leaders in Portland do not recognize the value of the arts and culture sector, how it could be used to stimulate the economy, enhance quality of life, and advance cultural equity. Portland's civic leadership is not championing the arts. I'll give you that link as well.
0: I mean, in a lot of ways, that that says it all. But like Brian says, it doesn't have to be to the exclusion of anything else. This, This can be a partnership in regard to all of our treasured institutions and the things that we care about. And it seems like we should be able to, by funding the arts, we can assist in a revitalization of Portland. I think when we talk about places like Detroit and St. Louis revitalizing themselves through the arts and through the funding of the of the arts and people coming together to support them, I don't know what better better model there is out there to follow and the idea that they're doing better than we are should upset everybody listening to this. Literally everyone should be upset by hearing this. Now what would you all see I, I find the art Museum and the symphony very accessible. The people I know find it very accessible. My children find it accessible because they're into um, you know the popular stuff. They're into things like the Frida Kahlo and Diego Rivera exhibit that was so beautiful that you all uh, did at the Art Museum Brian it was so well done. Thank you it, The stuff that you all had this is these are things that most of us have, had only seen in books and like the Selma Hayek movie you know and or on the internet and then suddenly you get to see this stuff in person. There's really nothing like it. It's very different. I mean can you talk a little bit about why it might be important to see a piece of art in person?
2: Yes. Um, so, Kristen, thanks for mentioning that was called Mexican Modernism and Frida Kahlo, and Diego Rivera. And it was a remarkable exhibition that we had. We had over 400,000 people right after, um, you know, the sort of the height of the pandemic. And right. people will respond. People do want uh, inspiration. There are two things here that I think is really important. Some of those paintings that you saw, and I'll go back to your to your question, but some of those paintings you saw are of a magnitude of financial value that is extraordinary. We're talking many, many millions of dollars of Frida Kahlo painting is. And there's only one institution in all of Oregon that could probably show that. You need a lot of infrastructure. You need security. You need talented staff to hang it and care for these works of art. But to your point about well, what makes it special, it's about the aura of the object. This is an object created by one of the great artists of the 20th century, um, Frida Kahlo, who you know we know of her struggles we know of her creativity we know of what she represents for so many people and um and also being a woman painter at that time was really quite remarkable and someone who thought deeply about her own turmoil and expressed it in such a powerful way but to be face-to-face with an object that has that aura. And what I mean by aura, that was actually touched by Frida Kahlo, that was actually viewed by her, by her friends, and traveled through time to get to this moment. We can all see images and things uh, on the internet. We know that. But really what that is, that's an advertisement and an inspiration to come see something for real. And to be face-to-face with an object that is over 100 years old or that has that importance to the history of mankind. You know, we talk about Edward Munch's painting The Scream and people say, "Well, why is that work so iconic?" Well, you think about that work being painted at the early 20th century at the before World War I. It sort of captures everything that the 20th century represented, two world wars, um, all the, the 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 strife and the the growth and the changes that the United States and the world went through each work of art has that encapsulated within it. And to be face to face with it, I think is a really important thing for people to experience. And I would say the same thing for live music, right? There's nothing like being in the presence of live music that sort of surrounds you and engulfs you in that experience. Um, And going back to the Waterfront concert, boy, what a what a beautiful um, place we have here! Um, if we take care of it along the waterfront, and to be um, listening to classical music along the the, the shores of the Willamette—wow, pretty powerful!
1: For anybody that, thank you, Brian. And uh, right back at you. That was the, beautiful, yeah. Brian. Um, you, if you didn't already have a job, Brian, I'd, I'd hire you over at the Oregon <laughs> Symphony, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> he's got he's got bigger uh, things to do with uh, at Pam. Um, yes, that in addition to Waterfront, you know, the hundreds of education and outreach programs that we run around the city and uh, state alongside the uh, programs that we put online that are available to the world for free really serve our mission to be able to, to reach everyone through the power of music, which we think of as an ability to unite, inspire, educate, heal, and bring joy. When you think about our society today, when do we come together en masse anymore, rooting as one? Certainly not at some protest and not even in a sports venue because you're going to have opposite sides of any any event. But in the case of the arts, you're coming together to root for the group that's on the stage and to collectively experience what it's like to absorb that music, that experience in with other people. And anyone who would say they're coming for themselves, I would question that if you imagine the greatest performance of your life, it doesn't matter what it is. It could be popular music. It could be classical music. But if you imagine the greatest concert of your life, but you are the only one in the hall, you are not going to have the same experience as the ebullience that happens when there are thousands of people around you that are jumping to their feet there is nothing like that experience and so for for people who would question classical music like oh isn't symphony a dying art form i'd say well they've been saying that for hundreds of years now and and we learned all of us uh, our alphabet to uh, a tune written by mozart every birthday graduation wedding funeral you attend is classical music but we're much more than classical music right we're country western music and indie music and gospel christmas gospel mariachi we've done programs on stage that address homelessness racial injustice environmental sustainability immigration issues i mean it's such a wide breadth of repertoire and service to this community that we've we've got to not just survive but continue to to do all this good work for as i say the next 125
0: years well and you all had my what my kids loved and what i loved is you all had leslie odom jr Mm. Yeah. A number of times. And we were just taken by him in Hamilton. And the idea that Portland, Oregon could get this man to come sing for us with the Oregon Symphony kind of blew us away multiple times. Is he going to come back ever? Yeah.
1: No, we Yeah, we will definitely have him back. We've had him a few times. We'll have him back again. He's been he's been a great guest. And to your point, like we we bring things that excite various stars, excite all kinds of audiences. Earlier this season, we had Amine. and uh, that's probably most of your listeners won't have heard of this uh, uh, hip hop artist uh, who's just phenomenal, uh, Portland born, uh, uh, but. Is, we'll link to that yeah. because
0: I think people are going to want to hear
1: it now. Yeah, and uh, and but now world renowned. And if you're in the TikTok generation, you you know who this guy is. But we gave him his first performance with any orchestra ever, and we have that reputation uh, and history with a lot of bands. So yes, we try to to strike out and be creative and get people to question uh, how they consider classical music. You, you know, we're not your grandpa's symphony.
0: Well, you also do movies, which is another one of, that's one of our favorite things to do as a family. And um, so here's how it works, you all. You watch the movie, they screen it, so it's way better than the theater because the projector, the projection of this movie is enormous. It's bigger than any theater screen, certainly in Portland, Oregon. And it's behind the orchestra that's behind the symphony and then the symphony plays the soundtrack to the movie live as you're sitting there and it's so moving and beautiful and fun i mean the stuff like the goonies that's really fun and stuff like hocus pocus amazing. We came in costume as the witches, as the, me and my two girls, as the three witches. And um, we came for It's a Wonderful Life. And I sobbed through that whole thing because there's that movie is really special to me. It was my deceased mother's favorite movie, but also, and it's just so darn sad. But also when you're, as, as Brian and Scott have said, when you are experiencing this live, especially with a group of other people who are so similarly moved, and you're hearing the live music accompany something that is already very visually moving, There's, I can't explain it. There's nothing like it. You have to go. Brian, what is coming up at the art museum that we should keep an eye on or that we should look out for?
2: Oh, thanks for asking. You know, one of the, the, the parts of our mission is to be of the city, not just in it. And I think it's so important. So we have opening up this week Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, which was made here.
0: Um, amazing
2: incredible it was about three years ago i went to these um warehouses where there were hundreds of artisans making this stop-motion film and we're going to pull back the curtain literally on that process and celebrate the artists and artisans and that opens up later this week so we're really excited about that but then our mission is also to bring the world to oregon uh in the fall we have an exhibition of africa fashion um Wow. Orga- organized by the uh, Victorian and Albert Museum in London, um, looking at the the African emergence of fashion after the, the the pullback of the colonial rule and this efflorescence of art and culture and design, which is really phenomenal. But then celebrating who we are also, I think it's really important. You know, Oregon has um, a challenging history with um, people of color, black people. We know this. Of there course. Are, I mean, that's
0: why we're one of the whitest states in the U.S. We literally didn't let them come here for a very long time.
2: Yeah, and it was written into laws, and it was really, it's, it's very sad, and it's a tragic part of our history. So what do we do to make, you know, sort of think about what we need to do moving forward? Um, we're also organizing a major exhibition on black artists of Oregon, which is opening up later wow. this year. Mm looking at the history of the creative class here in Oregon that have often been overlooked. There are some elders. Uh, we know someone like um, uh, R.V. Smith, which is a remarkable gentleman painter here, And but there's many other artists who have uh, worked here. Carrie Mae Weems is an artist who grew up here. She's on our board. She's a a globally celebrated artist. So we're going to look at that history and then also look at some of the the artists who have been overlooked. So that's also really exciting for us to to celebrate. And again, this is not just about entertainment. entertainment. This is about deepening our understanding of who we are here in Oregon. And I think that's so important.
0: Well, and I think I should make an addendum to what I said previously, which is I called you all, I called the art museum and the symphony cultural institutions and really I don't think I can talk about them in that way anymore because institution implies that it will always be there and we now know they won't I mean we now know you all are only here because of the generosity of for instance all of your patrons all of the individuals all the Oregonians that are paying to come this isn't some kind of thing that is funded into perpetuity there is no guarantee i mean scott said there's no guaranteed money for the symphony brian is that true about the art museum as well i mean do you have some kind of guaranteed pot of money into infinity
2: no no and we're under endowed which is a term that a lot of professionals use and the idea that we have a a corpus of money that kicks off 5% a year or generates 5% a year and then it helps us with our infrastructure. I think what's really important about this conversation too is both the symphony the the museum I've put the opera the ballet all the performing arts organizations. The these are for the public good and the infrastructure is much more expensive than ticket sales. For example, yeah, talk about that. Yeah, so for example, for us, ticket sales covers less than ten percent of our operating budget because twenty four seven hours a day, uh, seven days a week, we have to you know pay for climate control and security and the maintenance of the building and a staff that is overseeing these treasures that you See, talk and about. And a lot
0: of us didn't even wouldn't even think about that you all like sit there for a minute and think about this it's easiest to think about something iconic like the mona lisa in the louvre right obviously that is going to deteriorate over time with if you're not paying attention to things like the climate control. That's what Brian's talking about. These collections that we have at the Portland Art Museum. Like say isn't is it that Asian collection that you all have is is, is just world class. It's, it's absolutely world class,
2: you know. Our collections are Native American collection the also. The Native
0: American one too is yeah, amazing.
2: Oregonians, you know, decided to come together through a subscription program to acquire major works of Northwest uh, Native American indigenous art. It's it's the envy of the world. I actually had once The, the
0: envy of the world. Isn't that amazing? And it's right here
2: it is it's remarkable i actually had the director of the met metropolitan in new york come and said how do we borrow this um really yeah it's incredible and these are the cultural treasures you know it reminds me Kristen. it was about five years ago the national museum of brazil caught on fire right and it was a major major event and very tragic because you know the facilities weren't taken care of there were other things happening the infrastructure wasn't invested in Wow. The devastation over millions of objects and history oh, lost to fire, and it's sort of the soul of our communities. That's what that's what we're talking about here. These are the souls of our communities in and the, the history. And the history, and um, and you talk about our Asian collection as a Pacific Rim city. You know, very significant Japanese prints of world renown, going back acquired in the '40s. Um, the Chinese collection, in particular, thanks to Harold and Arlene Schnitzer. Um, our Korean collection, which is just starting, has been really, really important. Um, that's just to name a few.
0: Yeah. So when Brian talks about infrastructure, I mean, obviously, you all, you you can't just acquire these things and toss them into a storage unit. This is the kind. These are the kind of precious. They're literally artifacts. These are the kind of things that require, I'm sure, very expensive. Um, like like you said, Brian, climate control. You gotta you gotta fireproof it, right? You gotta floodproof it. Um, we are set to get some kind of huge earthquake. My guess is you've had to engage in some kind of earthquake proof.
2: Absolutely. And what we're talking about again, we have to ensure our collection. It's worth over a billion dollars. Oh my god! So that needs to be paid for and underwritten, and that's really important.
0: People forget about all these things, Scott. What are some of the things that the symphony? Has to fund that maybe people out on the street or or people just buying a ticket and coming and watching a beautiful show things that they might not think about.
1: Well, we start with a core of eighty full time artists, and so we're full-time. not full time. I, mean, I think that's really important. Full time between the orchestra and our conducting staff are eighty full time. You've got our staff as well. Some are part time, some are full time, but it takes a lot of rehearsals and performances to work with a group of that size and a budget of our size over the course of a year. So, um, that's, that's keeping their wages as much as possible running, you know, at inflation plus, right. So that we continue to provide for those who are providing so much for our, our greater community. We do 120 concerts a year, mostly in Portland, but in other cities as well. We run hundreds of education and community engagement programs and, schools libraries neighborhoods correctional facilities sports venues retirement homes homeless shelters i mean you name it we are we are omnipresent around this this region and you think well, okay, 80, but isn't some of that scalable? And it's not, because if I don't have a tuba part on one weekend, I don't not pay the tuba player his salary for the week, right? right? So if Portland Center stage and they've we've all got our own sort of respective challenges, but I think sometimes if theater companies they can scale better, right? So they can go to a a one woman show, a one woman performance for the symphony is called a recital. That's not a symphony, right? So it is the it's the breadth Mm. of activity that we have on the stage. But you know, so in addition to all of those programs on stage and off, uh, you know, we do we have all kinds of licensing and commissions and recordings and broadcasts, and marketing and development. I mean, there's it is a it is a big enterprise. I once had somebody say to me, "Oh, as the president of the Oregon Symphony, does that mean you pick the pieces?" I thought well it's, it's a little more complicated than that um, especially in this day and age with the funding as it is I mean at the we so Brian talks about the, the ticket revenue in the case of the Oregon Symphony it's fully half of our wow. 23 24 million dollar budget so call that 10 plus million dollars a year and then I've got to raise a million dollars a month all year long, in order to kind of sustain a budget of that size,
0: that's just an incredible amount of and pressure. And that,
1: that's in the that's in the best of times, Kristen. Right. So n- now we've you know with the bottom kind of dropping out of uh, tickets uh, for the reasons we've been talking about, and then the the Inflation. fee structures and all of that increasing, uh, there's even more pressure on, on on raising the money.
0: So okay, you talked about how people wonder things like, oh, you're the CEO of the symphony, you get to pick the mm-hmm. songs. Mm-hmm. Talk to us. And and Brian, I'd like to hear from you next. So I'd like to hear from both of you what your roles entail, because I think a lot of us don't. We see your name in the press, but we don't really know. We know that you're the face of these organizations, but we don't really know what what kinds of balls you're juggling behind the scenes. So Scott, you talked about fundraising. What else does your job entail that we might not know about?
1: Uh, Increasingly, it's involved more Government lobbying on the state level, on the local level, and on the national level. Well, yeah, it's not like I can afford a director of government relations, so I end up doing a lot of it. We have uh, a consultant who helps us with some of that, but I end up being on the front lines for a lot of the conversations, yes.
0: And when you say consultant, that person's farmed out, so that's an hourly probably, or some kind of fixed fee deal where they're not just like on staff. That's correct. So you're effectively, you are the lobbyist.
1: We're we're driving that. And Brian and I uh, participate in a a group that helps to lobby on behalf of the entire sector. I mean, look, although we're two of the largest in the state um, alongside Oregon Shakespeare Festival, we care about the entire ecosystem. We care about all of the si- relatively, you know, large and small-sized institutions, and so we've banded together to help lobby for relief funding from CARES Act and, and otherwise. Uh, at the, in, so in that's Salem, the federal
0: level. Is that the, the federal those are the federal, federal
1: dollars that have passed down to the state, and then how the state legislature allocates them. We're currently working on House Bill twenty-four fifty-nine, which would bring as much as fifty million dollars to. Uh, arts organizations across the state. Um and it's held up now for reasons we know with the uh Republican walkout and and in the state house. So um hopefully that'll get voted on yet this uh session, although uh weeks are winding down. But yeah, I'm spending more time in in that space than I kind of thought I would I would get into. Um my my job is 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 covering a, a broad swath of of
2: responsibility for sure.
0: Brian, what about you? What are some things that you're doing that yes. we might not know about?
2: Yeah, I, I think uh, big picture, I think both Scott and I, it's about stewardship. And so we inherited these organizations from due to the past generations have built them. And I think it's really important that I think all of the arts leaders think about stewardship. What are we going to leave the next generation? Um, what are we going to have for our kids kids. Um, and that's what we're talking about. So for me, the stewardship entails, you know, obviously taking care of the facilities and the collections, taking care of the people who, um, Who work at the museum. They're very, very dedicated from, again, incredible backgrounds. The number of PhDs is remarkable, in addition to the people who, you know, help us just maintain the buildings. Uh, So I think a lot about the people. How do I take care and steward uh, the resources effectively and appropriately to take care of them? Um, And then also visioning, you know, how do we plan and how do we create relevance? I think Scott and I talk a lot about relevance. Relevance is a very important topic for all of us. We need to continue to evolve, to be responsive to the needs, and to be impactful for our community. So it comes through exhibitions, acquisitions. Some of the exhibitions I mentioned are all part of that relevance. And then, again, partnering with the schools and making sure the next generation understands the treasures because ultimately the leadership we have now is the result of people doing that before. And a lot of our trustees, we have about 50 trustees, you know, we're exposed to our art museum thanks to others uh, generously giving. So that's also part of it. Um, So on a day-to-day, you know, budgets, exhibitions, um, trying to fundraise government relations, as Scott has indicated, um, and, you know, making sure that this place is running well. I think ultimately also, I also believe that if I can have a great staff, great things will happen, and I need to invest in them, and we need to continue to think about that, as Scott has indicated with all the musicians that he hires.
1: I, I couldn't agree more with Brian in the stewardship uh, angle and what we're doing to preserve not just age-old music, but also how it is that we're moving things forward. So the commissions, the artists that we bring to Portland, whether it's Gladys Knight, Andre Watts, Nas, you know, on and on and on, it's the kind of music that we're creating in real time and the new music that we're commissioning that reflect the society around us and what is happening today is different than it was in beethoven's time and so we need to be thoughtful about that and and we are so long as we have the resources to do it we talk about bringing the power of music to more people in new ways it's on stage and off and online now uh, more than ever and we move music forward we like to say and i you know you see it in real time i my my mother passed 5 years ago from dementia and parkinsons and in the late stages of life she couldn't speak she didn't recognize me but she could hum a tune and if that was a christmas song or uh, some other familiar ballad that she knew that is what gets through to people hearing they say is the last um sense to to leave us so it's it's that fundamental we hear music in the womb we are played lullabies and sung them as a a a newborn in a crib and we die to uh music and to funerals and so forth it is music and the arts are foundational to humanity and we have to have that in our lives it doesn't have to be a certain kind of set of institutions, but without it, I, I mean, I dare say we're all as humans worse off, and Portland absolutely will
2: be worse off.
0: Brian, is there anything that you haven't talked about that you want people to know about the art museum?
2: Yeah, Kristen, thanks for asking that. I was thinking about this. We were talking at the beginning about private philanthropy, individual donors, and it's allowed the United States and the arts to flourish in the, in our country. At the same time, there is imperfections to it. and And what I want to talk about is I think is really important. The imperfection is often, not all, but often or sometimes philanthropy follows tastes and tastes are what people know. And we're having a conversation, and this is so important, I think, for all of us to understand. We need to get a diversity and we need to think about equity in our organizations. And this is also foundational and it needs to be a lifelong journey for all of us. And by having at least public dollars or unrestricted dollars at the table, we can make choices and we can become more equitable rather than just allowing philanthropy to determine what our program looks like. And again, it's the combination of private and public dollars coming together to create equitable, inclusive organizations. And again, by only relying on one of those sources' Too much you create an inequitable situation, and it 's a concern for me kristen, you started the
1: podcast asking sort of the imprint and what people can do, and I would just I would leave people with if you want to support Portland and the arts, you need to come to the arts, come see symphony, opera come here, Baroque music, go to Portland Center Stage, see the ballet, go to the art museum, go to many, many, go to Artist Repertory Theater, go to all kind. We've got so many great organizations across this region, large and small, and we need people to come back to live performance because that's what's going to keep us alive for, for, for years to come. Yes, the donations, yes, the civic support, yes, all the challenges that Brian and I are talking about, but fundamentally... We need the people uh, to come back to, to see and hear us live.
0: Okay. That was a fantastic summation of what we can do to help support the arts. And what I was envisioning while you two were talking was really depressing, which was Portland in its current state without the symphony or the art museum. And I don't know about you all, but I, I, it's devastating to even think of. And so it's really important to me to support you both and to, I, I think, to Portlanders because we know that they have helped fill in these gaps from the funding that you all used to count on. And so obviously this idea that nobody cares about you all anymore and nobody, nobody wants to come see you is wrong. Um, But we need more of it. And as Scott said, we need to come downtown and enjoy it because that will enable us to support the infrastructure of downtown, like the bars and the restaurants and people coming from other places in the state of Oregon, the hotels. I mean they are not to capacity, and that's an understatement. But people used to travel to go to the symphony or to go to a special exhibit at the art museum. I think a lot of you still do, but please come and do that because we are really missing those dollars, and that will help revitalize the city. The more people we have out and about on the sidewalks, the less of this decline we're going to see.
1: Absolutely. I'd say it's it's an act of civic participation and it's entertaining to boot it's fun it's a good way to be involved is to come enjoy a, a concert or an exhibition or just take a walk around uh, downtown and and experience the arts and culture that is already here
0: anything else that we should leave people with before we sign off here brian and scott
2: i'll, I'll just say thanks Kristen. what a what a thoughtful conversation i really appreciate being asked I'm
1: always open to future conversations. So as your listeners want to talk more, uh, we are around, we care, we, we want to be part of the conversation and the revitalization of, of Portland. So thank you again for the opportunity to, to share with you today.
0: Well, that's a good point, Scott. So if people want to get in touch with you all, how do they do that?
2: So for the art museum, it's the website's the best, um, and it's, you know, phone numbers and emails and all the information's there. I think can they
0: get in touch with you directly, Brian? They like, can. Like, what if somebody just wants to talk to Brian Ferrizo?
2: Yeah, and I think my email is on the website, <laughs> but I'll give it right now. It's brian.ferrizo, F-E-R-R-I-S-O, at pam.org. Always, Wonderful. Always re- willing to take emails.
0: Thank you. And you were going to say something
2: I forget what I was going to say,
0: <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't
2: rude. No. Right,
0: well, if it comes back, yeah. let us know. And I Scott, will. how do people get in touch with you?
1: So you can find out all that the symphony is doing this season yet and next, orsymphony.org, and I am at S-S-H-O-W-A-L-T-E-R, so it's my first initial and last name at orsymphony.org.
0: Well, thank you both. It is such an honor to be in the same room as you two. And I feel so absolutely... um Bold over that you are willing to come in in person and talk about what's going on with your organizations. I really appreciate it because I think it's so critically important. And if anybody has any questions, please feel free to reach out to any of us and we will um, talk to you about what you all can do and how you can help. And we've got to support these institutions. Thank you all for listening. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Scott. And let's support the Art Museum and the Oregon Symphony and all of these cultural treasures we have here in Portland. Because those of us who care about Portland know that we need to invest in and make sure to preserve those treasures that we have in our city which are so few and far in between unfortunately but I think at some point they will they will come back and there will be more but right now we have these two and we've got to keep them so thanks again you guys I appreciate it
2: thank you